Awesome. So I recently took up um, 3D printing. Anybody ever done any 3D printing? Am I the only one in the room that's done? Okay. 3D printing, I discovered quickly, is a little more complicated than traditional printing, as you can imagine. Um, <clears throat> in traditional printing, it's 2D, right? You have <laughs> letters grouped into words, grouped into paragraphs, printed on a flat sheet. Everybody, most everybody's printed. Everybody printed something on a 2D traditional printer? Okay. Uh, 3D takes a lot more preparation. Uh, there are complicated patterns that have to be created for the printer to interpret because not only do you print length and width, but you also print height. Uh, and then there's, there's a couple different programs. I won't trouble you with it all, but there's one called a CAD, computer-aided design, C-A-D. Uh, and you have to learn how to use a CAD program if you want to design your own 3D prints. Now, the quality of the print at the end uh, is predicated upon the quality of the pattern. Anybody ever made anything from a pattern before? Anybody ever tried sewing? Yeah, okay. Sewing or other things you make from patterns. Um, if you use a good pattern and you're good at doing it, <laughs> you come out with something reasonably decent at the end. Um, if you're not good at it, um, nothing's going to help you. But a bad enough pattern for 3D printing, and the printer might not even be able to print it. You know, there's some rules you have to follow. There's some design rules and, and printing uh, parameters that you have to stay within. If you create a good pattern, you get a good end product in your print. If you create a bad pattern, it could be so bad that the printer can't even print it. Uh, that hasn't happened to me yet. For, I, I've only created one or two of my own designs. Mostly I'm, I'm using other people's designs right now as I learn how to do it. Um, but Paul talks about patterns and, and examples in Scripture. Uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about that today. We're going to be in Philippians 3. We're continuing in our, our journey through Philippians. We're going to pick it up in verse 17. And we're going to read to the end of the chapter Paul says this, not that I have already obtained this, speaking of the, the prior passage, or that I am perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Actually, I started in 12. Sorry. We're going to start in 17. I just, you know, I like to read. Brothers, join me in imitating me. Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom... I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship, Paul says, is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power of that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, teach us what this scripture means today uh, and, and teach us um, about your pattern and your example that you have set forth in Paul and in his teachings. Uh, Lord, that we might be, become, uh, be able to become more Christ-like, more like the Christ that we serve. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So one of the first things Paul says in this passage, we're going to get to the pattern part in a second, but I don't want to miss the first part of this. He says, join in imitating me. Ooh, or keep your eyes on those who are, who are following in this pattern. But he says, uh, and with no apology, do what I do. I don't know about you, this is one of the most intimidating um, passages, I think, in Scripture. 
because Paul, I mean, that's one of those things that's like you were like, okay, is lightning going to strike now? <laughs> if I said that, if I said, follow me as I follow Christ, would anybody in this room, you, you know, we should be able to say that, but in, would anybody really want to? That's a dangerous thing to say. Follow me as I follow Christ, because what happens if I follow Christ poorly? And you follow me, then you're following Christ poorly. So imagine what Paul was talking about here. He he went on. It was interestingly interestingly enough. I I uh, accidentally read verse twelve where he says, um, "Not that I'm already perfect." So we know Paul didn't have an estimation of himself that was too great or too high or too glorious. He wasn't cocky. He may have been cocky. We don't really know. But he wasn't like saying, I've got it all together. I'm perfect. Follow me. He, he, he already had said, in fact, that he's not perfect yet. But follow me as I follow Christ. So there's a few things that we're, we're, we're not going to unpack that too deeply, but just a few things I wanted to point out. A couple questions just to kind of leave you hanging. We're going to pick these up again at the end. He encourages uh, the reader, the listener of this passage to follow his example and the example of those who are following the pattern that he has set out. And so the question I have for you today is, who are you following? Who are you following? Um, it's obvious we should, all, we should all have the Sunday school answer, right? I'm following Christ. But who in this world are you following? We're all following somebody. We're all looking up to somebody, uh, out at somebody in front of us, somebody further along, at least I hope we are, further along in this journey with Christ, somebody who is reaching towards that, that idea of maturity. They're becoming more and more mature in Christ. They've been following Christ longer than you have. They've matured further than you have, and, and you're following them as they follow Christ. This might even be a more daunting question, though. Who's following you? Who's following you? Because somebody is following you. If you're a parent, your children are following you. Uh, if you're uh, just somebody at school, somebody else at school is following you. You may not know it, they're following you. If you're at work, somebody's following you. At home, somebody's following you. There's always somebody looking after the way you live, the way you act, the way you behave, the way you interact with other adults, the way you interact with Scripture, uh, whether you're obedient or not to it. There are people watching and following. And so when Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ, imitate me as I imitate Christ, um, be thinking about that as we traverse through the rest of this passage and through this week. Who are you following and who's following you? But I want to get to this pattern um, because I love the idea. This is actually um, some different translations say it differently. But there is a pattern that Paul is talking about um, in Philippians 3.17 that we read in the ESV. It says, brothers, join in imitating me, keeping your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. But in the NIV, which I, I love sometimes the way um, the, the, the translators wrote uh, and translated in there, he says, join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. Have you ever thought about that and read that and gone, I wonder what that pattern is? I want to help us try to unpack a little today of what that pattern is, but I'm not going to leave it completely unpacked for you. I'm going to give you some homework so that you can unpack some of it yourself um, 
And then I haven't decided yet if I'm going to pick up next week on chapter 4 or if we're going to talk about the pattern again. We'll, we'll just leave that. We'll see how the rest of this goes today. But let's define uh, the word pattern. Uh, many of us have an idea what a pattern is, but uh, uh, the pattern that we're talking about is a model or design used as a guide, much like a 3D printer takes the, the 3D picture that you have drawn and created and prints it. It's interesting, you take that file and you, after you use the CAD to create it, you put it in another program called a slicer. That sounds pretty cool, right? And the program does exactly what you think it means. It slices the, the, the 3D model into slices that the printer can print because the printer prints really in 2D, right? I mean, the, the, the filament that comes out, it's so thin you almost can't see it. It builds by levels. I'm going to print one later today. It takes 22 hours for it to print, and it's only about this big because it does tiny, tiny amounts at a time, and it does it by slices. Now, this pattern we're talking about, Paul has given us something similar to that. He's given us pieces. It Wouldn't it be nice if we had um, Paul's book of the pattern? I wish Paul had just said, I'm going to take and write a letter to all the churches and just spell it out. Um, you have to do some detective work. You have to do some investigation. And I'm going to give you a head start today at the end of the message on where to look to begin to discover some of Paul's pattern but let's take a look again at this word, the model or design used as a guide, a set of instructions to be followed in making something. I'm going to ask you a question real quick and see if you get the answer. What do you think Paul's pattern creates? What did you say? Christ followers. Okay, that's a good word. I like that. What's another word? Disciples. I like that word a lot. Who said that? Jordan? Thank you, Jordan. Christ followers or disciples. Um... If you use the pattern of Christ using this 3D printer idea, right? The perfect Christ as the pattern by which the Christ follower is modeled, what, what should you get? An excellent reproduction, right? Because it's not a sloppy pattern. It's God's pattern. It's this amazing pattern of Christ. So let's like begin to discover some of this. 2 Timothy 1, 13 and 14, Paul talks again and he says, follow the pattern of sound words you have heard from me in faith and in lo and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So what does this pattern look like? I'm going to unpack a couple of ideas here real quick. What does this pattern, example, deposit of sound teaching look like that Paul's talking about? Uh, and I've got four things we're going to unpack just briefly. The first one is teaching that's in keeping with what God desires. This pattern has got to coincide exactly with what God desires, right? Um, 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11 says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Titus 2.1 says, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Um, the pattern has got to match up with sound doctrine. So as you, uh, I, I hope you guys take the challenge today to go home and begin to unpack some of this and read about this and really think about what is the pattern? What is a disciple 
supposed to look like? What is a Christ follower really supposed to look like? The first thing is that what they, what they live and the teaching that is poured into them is in accord with sound doctrine. Where do we find sound doctrine? In the Bible. In the Bible. You've got to be pouring this book in. Uh, I hope you're following along with us on our reading plan. Uh, email comes out every Sunday afternoon to remind you. You can go to epcc.me forward slash read and get the plan. For, if, if you haven't um, kept up to where we're at, you can jump in now and just keep going forward. Um, we did some of, uh, some of Genesis, then Job was stuck in the middle because we're doing chronologically, and then we're back in Genesis again. Uh, so I hope you'll take this journey with us, but fill yourself with God's word because God says that his pattern is of teaching that is in keeping with his desires. Um, you got to know what his desires are so that you can know if you're following the pattern. The second thing here is that it's teaching in keeping with the wisdom and power of God. Teaching not the wisdom of man, but the wisdom and power of God. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5 says, And I, when I, come to you, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness. That just doesn't sound like a cocky guy, does it? I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. This pattern has got to rest in the power of God. It's not, Pastor Sean didn't say it. It's not even... Paul said it, <laughs> right? It's got to rest. Paul's even saying, hey, don't look at me. I came to you in weakness. I, I didn't use lofty words and arguments. And we all know Paul was a great writer and he could have written um, a great treatise. And maybe that's why he didn't write out the pattern the way, he, uh, the way we would like, you know, we'd like to be spoon-fed. Here's the pattern, Sean. I would, that would be great. But Paul determined to teach us and to love us in the power of God and in the spirit of God. And part of that is that we have got to mature. We've got to grow up, stop taking baby steps and find out what that pattern is and begin to see that pattern born out in our lives as we become conformed to the image of Christ. Next thing here is teaching. This kind of teaching, this kind of deposit in us is always rooted in love. Renee read this to us earlier I'm going to read it again. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 talks about some of the roles that he gives people uh, in the body of Christ. He said he gave uh, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints. Remember the saints from chapter 1 at the very beginning? Saints are Christ followers. Saints are disciples. Uh, saints are not somebody did three miracles and the church gave them some kind of, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the saints that Scripture teaches what saints are. Paul says the saints are the body of Christ. So these roles were given in the church and in the body to equip the saints, that's us, for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood and womanhood, <laughs> to the mature, uh, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. See, the, the truth of the love of God and understanding the truth that's in this word 
protects us from human cunning and the winds of social media uh, and the news, craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, Paul says to the church in Ephesus, speak the truth in love. And in doing that, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, whether each part is working, when each part is working properly, makes up the body. Listen to what happens so that it builds itself up in love. He always comes back to that concept of love, doesn't he? Always points back to love, that everything is done in love, and that that teaching, that deposit, that example, that pattern is set before us in love. Last thing he says here is teaching uh, with appropriate motive and character. Titus 2, 7 through 8 says, show yourselves in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned. Woo! (laughs) Anybody? I'm going to read that part again. In your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame and have nothing evil to say about us. Teaching with appropriate motive and character. Um, we're going to leave the pattern for a moment. We're going to move on because I want to make sure and get the rest of these, um, these verses here. And we're going to come back to that at the end briefly. Because Paul turns to, uh, he, he, he has said, imitate me. Follow the example you see in me, the pattern you see in me, and the pattern and example that you see I have set in those who also follow Christ. So Paul's not saying I'm the only one. He's saying follow me and those who are like me who are going the same direction. Paul's like, come with me and, 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 and the rest of us who are going the same direction. And that's, that's God's call to all of us today. That's my call to you. Come with me. Come with me. We're going somewhere. We're following Christ and we're headed somewhere together. But Paul reminds us that there are those that live as enemies to the cross, and that shouldn't be any surprise, but let's read it again real briefly. Uh, Philippians 3, 18 through 19 says, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. There are those, did you know that? There are those that walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. That should not be a surprise to you. And he says four things about them. Their end is their destruction. The, those who are enemies of Christ have a set future destruction. If you are not for Christ, you're against him. We already can read to the end of Revelation. We know, how, we know what happens, right? Their end is their destruction. This is future looking. But then he talks about a present physical reality. He says their God is their belly. Their God is their belly. What do you think that means? It's all right. I like it. Rock and roll. <laughs> their God is their belly. They're focused on present things, uh, uh, earthly desires, human desires, things that, that um, maybe food. It could also represent other things, the kinds of things that we get our eyes focused on instead of Christ. When we begin to trust the news more than we trust Scripture. When we begin to be tossed uh, to and fro by the winds of change in our world. One day we think this way and another day we think that way. That's what he's talking about. Uh, We've got to be careful 
uh, that our God is God. <laughs> that our Lord is our Savior, Christ. And that we're not looking to something else. We're not leaning into our desire for the day. I don't know about you, but I don't wake up feeling the same way every day. Do you guys, anybody else? Is it just me? So some days I wake up and I'm like, I think I'd like Chinese food today. I'm just talking about food right now. He's talking about God. God is your belly, right? And then tomorrow I wake up and I was like, ah, I want Mexican food today. The next day I was like, I want Italian food today. I don't wake up the same every day. Some days, and that doesn't extend to just food, right? Every day I want coffee. That never changes. Maybe coffee's. Coffee's the danger. That's the, that's the danger button for me. I've got to watch out. But, but some days we wake up and we're in a good mood. Maybe we slept right. Maybe we got enough sleep. Some days we wake up in a bad mood. Anybody ever wake up in a bad mood? Anybody wake up in a bad mood today? Any, anybody wake up in a bad mood most days? <laughs> right? Uh, right? We have got to refocus our eyes on Jesus Christ and make sure that we are not serving another functional Savior. We believe and we, we trust that Jesus Christ can save us. And we read it in Scripture and we're like, yes, I agree with that. And I've, I've asked him to save me and, and I've, I've trusted him and I'm following him. But, but in our heart of hearts, we're, we're leaning on some other things. What's some other crutches? Just in case the whole Jesus thing doesn't work out. Man, that's dangerous. And Paul is saying that there are people like that and that they are considered enemies of the cross. Their end is destruction. Their God is in their belly. Their glory is their shame. Now, this one I love. I call this one reality reversed. In our culture, it's calling what's right, wrong, and what is wrong, right. It's reality reversed, and it's all around us, and it's not just in one area, or in, it's not just about gender, it's not just about politics, it's not just about uh, any of those things. It's about everything in our culture. If you've noticed, um, what, was, what was right 40 years ago is wrong today. What's wrong today will be right in 40 years more. It changes. There's, there's that shifting, cunning of the schemes of man. There's the winds that blow, the waves that toss. And, and people who are enemies of the cross glory in their shame. In other words, the things that should bring them shame, they say, way to go. They stand up to others who do wrong and say, you're doing a good job. You ever seen that? Seen that in the movies? Seen that in the TV? Seen that in the news? Seen that in real life? People are doing wrong, and the rest of the world says, good job. I think you're doing the right thing. Those are enemies of the cross. And then he returns back to the God is their belly idea by saying not only is their God their belly, but their minds are set on earthly things. They're consumed with thinking about the things of man, uh, what Paul sometimes calls the things of the flesh, the things of the world, worldly desires, uh, those crutches that we lean on. Again, he reminds us that it's not just uh, a kind of a gut desire you know, that's kind of where we feel, right? We, in our culture, we say we feel in our heart. In, in, in Middle Eastern culture and some of those other cultures, you feel in your gut. It's 
It's like your feel there. And, and I don't know about you, I feel in my gut sometimes. I, I, like you wake up and, and something's wrong. There's, there's something out of whack in your world, in your life, and you just, where do you feel it? I don't feel it in my heart. I feel it in my stomach. Now, this last year I had several days where I woke up during the summer, during the spring, when we were struggling with my parents and their issues and their eventual passing. Man, there were days I woke up and my stomach was just tied up in knots and I would just pray for a release from anxiety and it just knots you up. Um, and so not only is, is Paul addressing the feelings, those things you feel in your gut, but he's also addressing the things in your mind, the things they may play with you. Anybody, you have troubling thoughts and they play with you sometimes. Maybe when you're trying to fall asleep at night, right? And they just rattle around in there. Try to take a nap in the afternoon, you retire, and all of a sudden you're like wide awake because you've got thoughts. Listen to what Paul says when he wrote Timothy in the second book of Timothy, chapter 3, 1 through 5. He kind of gives a, a warning about these enemies of the cross, and he says, Understand this, in the last days there will come times of difficulty. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. I love that he put that one in there. So sometimes you read that and you go, that sounds kind of trite. But that was a pretty big deal. It's one of the Ten Commandments. Right? Honor your father and mother. Okay. But he says, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable. Anybody unappeasable? Can never have enough. Always need more. Slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not, lover, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. It sounds like the anti-fruit, doesn't it? We have the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Paul says, here are the anti-fruit. <laughs> here are the fruit of the flesh. Uh, those are the fruit of the Spirit, but the fruit of the flesh are these. And then he says this at the end. Having an appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. That's a warning that even within the body of Christ and in churches and, and, and among, maybe even among us, we don't know, but among the church in general, there are people who look like they have it all together. They look like they're godly. They have an appearance of godliness, but instead they're, 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 they deny the power that's there. I'm not saying there's anybody like that here. I hope not. But Paul is warning against it, and he says, avoid such people. Now, I'm not going to read the rest of it, but I, that's part of your assignment today. You want to know about the pattern, you want to know more about pattern, go to 2 Timothy, go to chapter 3, start at the beginning, read what we just read, but continue down, um, and you will see Paul gives us uh, a little bit of a list, if you will, um, of things that we can follow in him. And he kind of gives us a, a little glimpse, if you will, into some of his pattern there. So I'm going to leave that for you to read. So Paul says, imitate me, imitate those who are following the pattern, the example that I have given. We are following Christ. We are serving Christ. We are loving the Father. Avoid those who are enemies of the cross. Be aware that they're there. Be aware that sometimes uh, 
Some of those thoughts, those, those feelings, they can well up in your gut, they can come into your mind. Be aware that you can be even um, swayed at times by some of those things. We need to be aware so that we can resist them. Paul says resist Satan. It's active. We have to be active in resisting that. And then he reminds us this. This is important. He says, our citizenship is in heaven. But he starts it with one of my favorite words, but. It's almost like, here's the bad news. (laughs) There are enemies of the cross of Christ, and this is what they're like, and watch out for them and avoid them. But you, brothers and sisters, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 20 says, From now on, therefore, we are regarded, or we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we were once regarded, uh, we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. The last thing to note here is that Paul refers to us as ambassadors, and ambassadors have a job. The job is reconciliation. We are ambassadors with the ministry of reconciliation. That is reconciling people to God, bringing people to God, telling people about God, telling folks what Christ did in our life, in my life, and what he can do in their life, pointing to the Father saying all of this nonsense in the world, all of this distress, all of the, the agony, all of the brokenness, all of the sin can be forgiven and repaired by a father who loves you. A few things to note here about an ambassador. And we did in a, in a past series a, a whole message on ambassadors. I'm not going to unpack all of that, but just briefly... First thing to note, ambassadors live in a foreign land. When we appoint ambassadors, or I don't know if the point's the right word, as Americans, we send ambassadors to foreign countries, so they're American citizens in a foreign country. If they're in an embassy, it's interesting, often the embassy is considered a little piece of the United States. So when we uh, used to live in Poland, we could go to Warsaw, we could go to the embassy, we could flash our passport, and we could come in. And just in that building, we were in America. And they had a little, they had Dr. Pepper there. I don't know why. They had some stuff. You can't get Dr. Pepper anywhere else in all of Poland, but you can go to the embassy and find a Dr. Pepper, right? I don't know why. Maybe because that's quintessentially American. You can get Coca-Cola anywhere in the world. Dr. Pepper's hard to find. But there are ambassadors living in a foreign land. This is a reminder to us that we live in a foreign land. We live in a foreign land. Tell yourself that over and over again. This is not my home. Uh, It feels like home. It may feel, I don't know about you, it feels a whole lot less like home now than it used to. 
I used to kind of, and maybe that's, maybe that's because the world has changed. Maybe that's because I have changed. Maybe it's because of both. I don't know. I know the world's a lot different than it was when I was a 12-year-old. A whole lot different. And I felt at home then. I lived the quintessential uh, American uh, ranch house with a sidewalk in front, walked to school, rode my bike. I was a, I told you guys the story before, I was a, I was a feral child. Uh, my mom and dad worked. I had a key to the house. I was one of the original latchkey, ever heard that term, latchkey kids? Everybody's like, oh, those poor latchkey kids. It was awesome. My parents gave me a gun. I had a 22 rifle, and I, I would go to the store. They would sell an ammo to a 12-year-old, buy a box of 22 bullets, go out into the forest, and go shoot. We, we knew where all the guys drank, and we would get all their bottles and set them up and shoot them. It was a totally different world. And, and, and in a lot of ways, of course, that was before I was in Christ, but in a lot of ways, that felt like home. If this feels like home to you now and you're a Christ follower or claim to be, something's wrong. And we, I think some part of us wants to feel at home here. It, it would feel good to feel comfortable. It would feel good to feel apart. But we're not. We live in a foreign country. This is not our home. We're not of this place. Our kingdom is in heaven, and one day uh, we'll get there. And don't you know what that is going to feel like? That, that feeling you've always wanted where you felt like it was home. Maybe a little bit you get a glimpse of that here on some Sundays. Maybe not every Sunday, you, but, I, but I hope when you're here uh, in the body of Christ, it doesn't even have to be in this building. It can be anywhere gathered with people from the body of Christ. But I hope when you gather with people in the body of Christ, you, you get a little glimpse of that feeling of what it feels like to be home and to be connected and to be loved and to be accepted because our kingdom is in heaven and it's not on this earth. Ambassadors are resident representatives of a government or a kingdom they represent. We represent the king. We don't get a pass on just being lazy in this life. Ambassadors have a job, the ministry of reconciliation. Paul says God is making his appeal to the world through us. Maybe that's more intimidating than Paul's imitate me. <laughs> to know that God has so much um, hope pinned on you as a Christian, as a Christ follower, as a believer. Uh, so much love, so much trust that he has called you into the ministry of doing what he does, which is bringing people and reconciling people to the Father. Man, that, that's heavy, Pastor Sean. Woo, that is heavy. At the beginning of this message, I asked you an important question. I, I asked you, who are you following? Answering this question is probably the most important question you'll answer today. It might be the most important question you answer in your life. Yes, we all want to say the Sunday school Jesus answer, but I want you to really think about that. Is that true? Is that the reality? Are you following Christ? Are you following Christ?
Christ walked this earth. He taught the 12. Uh, He prepared them to start the church that has come forward to today, and we're part of that church. We're part of that body. We're part of that that tradition and that teaching uh, that's that's come forward to us. Um, And he equipped those guys to do that so that the, the ministry of reconciliation would continue throughout the ages, and it finds us here today. Part of that is asking and calling for people to receive Christ as Lord and Savior. And so I'm going to ask you today, who are you following? Have you, have you put that stake in the ground? I'm following Christ as Lord and Savior. He's the one. He's the only one. Have you got a foot in both worlds? There's a crack right here on the stage. You know, my little bit in the world, a little bit in Christ. What, would, what do you think Christ would say about that? No such thing. <laughs> No such thing. This is a call to be all in with Christ. Put everything in, all of me, all all my time, all my effort, all my energy, all my resources, all my hopes, dreams, desires, and aspirations. Christ went to the cross to carry my sin, to do the thing I couldn't do. Your sin, my sin, all sin, to the cross. He died. He, w- he was buried. He rose again. He was victorious over death and over sin. And he made a pathway, a way to, to regain the connection with God that was broken in the garden when Adam and Eve uh, sinned against the Father and were cast out. Are we still going to have trouble on this earth? Absolutely. Christ promises it. <laughs> he says, there's going to be trouble. It's going to be trouble in this world. Take heart. I have overcome the world. But there's going to be trouble. People are still going to get sick in your life. You're going to get sick. We're all going to die. We were dying as soon as we were born. We were all on the way. And that sounds like a terrible thing to say. But that's the reality. But when you think back to those enemies of the cross, they had their present and future realities mixed up, didn't they? Because our future is with the Father in heaven, and we know that Paul teaches, that Christ teaches, that the Spirit teaches, the Father teaches us that the end of our physical life is not the end of our life, that we stay connected with the Father and we join Him in heaven, because that's our home. That's why Christ came. He came to call you to Himself. Put down yourself, put down your will, put down your way, your desires, aspirations, Bring your sin to me. No amount of good work or or heavy lifting can clean that. No amount of watching is going to get that sin off. Only through the sacrifice of Christ can our sin be forgiven. And and the Father says, bring that sin to me. In the power of Jesus Christ and and through the power of the Spirit, I will wash you and cleanse you and save you. The old has gone and the new has come. And you'll be a new creation. So I'll ask that question again today. The the question I asked at the beginning, who are you following? Can you say it's Jesus Christ? And if you can't, will you ask him today to save you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the impact that it has on us. We thank you, Lord, that this uh, book called the, The Bible is Not a Dead Book that whenever we read it and whenever we open it and we, uh, whenever we, we allow the words of the Bible to penetrate our heart and our mind and our soul and our gut, 
uh, Lord, that it does surgery on the attitudes of our heart and it, it convicts us of sin and it calls us to be righteous and it, uh, um, it, it leads us to you. And Lord, no longer do we have to make a sacrifice for our own sin because Christ has been made the perfect sacrifice. And so Lord, today we remember the day we called upon you and asked for you to save us in the power of Jesus Christ. And maybe, Lord, there are those today here, uh, either in this room or maybe online, maybe later, who are listening and say, yes, Lord, now's the time. Please save me. All you want is all of us to come to you. Every bit of me placed on the altar, my good, my bad, my ugly, my sin, what I think I can offer you, all that stuff, we just give it to you. And so, Lord, maybe somebody today says, this is the first time I've come to you, Father. Forgive me of my sin. Forgive me for trying to live this life on my own, for trying to, 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 to hold on to the wind and the waves of the realities of this world when there is a solid rock in God that I can cling to. And so, Lord, Father, I bring myself to you, all the good, the bad, the ugly, and the sin. Lord, today I ask you to take that away from me, to forgive me, to wash me, to purify me, to place your spirit in me as a deposit, marking me as yours, save me in the power of your son, Jesus Christ, and what he did for me on the cross. Scripture promises, if we call in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And Lord, we call upon that promise today and ask that you save again those who are seeking you, those who are, are, are reaching out and crying out to know you. Lord, we thank you for the day that we made that decision. Lord, and we thank you for this message today that reminds us to take it serious, not to lean on crutches, not to lean on our own understanding, not to, to, to listen with our belly or our heart or our mind to the whims and the ways and the waves and the winds of this world, but Lord, to cling to you, the solid rock. Lord, we thank you. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, Paul left us uh, another part of the pattern. Jesus left this for us as well. Paul teaches on it, but Jesus created it. Um, and it is um, one of two things that as a church we kind of observe. One of those is baptisms. For you can't see it back there. There's a baptistry. We fill it with water. And when a person comes to faith in Christ, we baptize them. We do that in accordance with the command of what Scripture says, uh, be saved and then be baptized. Um, the, the water doesn't wash away sin or anything like that. Uh, it, it, it is a, a testimony before the church that something is different in your life, that Christ has saved you. But the other, the other memorial, I guess is a good word for it, or the other, uh, some churches call it ordinance, um, but the other observation that the Lord gave to us is communion. Uh, it is a shared meal that we take part in to remind us of the sacrifice of Christ. So I'm going to read a little bit out of Matthew 26, and uh, we're going to grab our little communion cups. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pre-open the top one. There we go. All right. Uh, I always like to read this story. Um, it's one of my favorite stories in Scripture. It 
says, Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, Go, I just love the, the story here, what he says to do. Go into the city to a certain man, but say to them, The teacher uh, says, My time is at hand. He will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So the disciples just wander into town, find this guy, and tell him, hey, we're going to have dinner at your house. And he's like, okay, I got the whole place laid out. I just love that story. They did as Jesus directed, found the man, prepared the, or prepared the Passover. And then it says, when it was evening, he reclined at the table with the twelve. And as he was eating, he said, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say one after another, is it I, Lord? Is it I? He answered, it is he who dipped his hand in the dish with me that will betray me. Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would be better that man had not been born. Judas would betray him, answered. Is it I, Rabbi? <laughs> and Jesus said, yes. You have said so. Now as they were eating, that must have been a moment, right? Looking eye to eye to the man who's going to betray you, knowing that that was going to have to happen for for everything to transpire the way God designed it. It says, now as they were eating, Jesus took the bread. He blessed it. He broke it. He gave it to his disciples, and he said, eat this. This is my body. Then he took the cup. When he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood, the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, for the forgiveness of sin. Now, we recognize today that these are juice and a little tiny cracker, just as in that day they were eating unleavened bread and wine, and they were not literally the body of Christ. These are just representations. They're symbols. They're things uh, that, that the Lord Jesus used in the time and the moment uh, to, to tell a story and to build uh, a tradition of memory into the church that we would remember this. Um, I think it's interesting. It's one of the only that I can think of things in Scripture that has a, a taste or smell associated with it. Most of what we do is sight, sound, uh, feeling. We can feel our Bible, right? But the juice has a smell and a taste, and the cracker has a crunch and a taste. And um, it's just interesting uh, Jesus wanted to reach out to us with some other senses, right? <laughs> Let's use all five senses in worshiping the Father. Um, if the ban is amenable, we can go on to verse 30 where it says, When they were done, they sung a hymn, and they went out to the Mount of Olives. So I think Lydia is probably downstairs teaching, but if the rest of the band, you guys want to get up and sing those two songs from the beginning again, I would be like totally up for that. And we can worship the Father. All right? As they get ready, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this memory that you have built into the life of the church in communion. Lord, we thank you for what it reminds us of, uh, that your son sacrificed his very life blood for each of us, that we might have the opportunity to be made right before the Father in the sacrifice of the Son and filled with the Spirit, marked as yours. Lord, we thank you for that. Um, what a great show of love. Lord, it, it, it really reiterates 
for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Lord, we thank you for that. That fact and the promise of the salvation tied up within it. Uh, Lord, help us to serve you. Help us to be all in. Give us the power and the boldness to serve as ambassadors uh, of Christ who are recognized as foreigners living in a foreign land with the, and, and, and entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation. Lord, give us the power, the boldness to do our, our job as ambassadors well. Lord, we love you. We want to honor you today with our very lives and our obedience. Lord, we give these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen.